even on this very lesson we'll learn today, your word teaches us from Ephesians 4.32, be kind one unto another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. Oh, Father, thank you for those words. Thank you for that guidance. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Father, we conclude in prayer. We just are, we are thankful, Lord, that we have the privilege of praying before the living God and that uh, we know that, Lord, you hear our prayer. Uh, your word declares that uh, our prayers fall on your ears and you respond, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we ask, Father, again, that you would just be with us this morning, be with those that can't be here today, uh, be with those who have medical conditions, Lord, and be with those who are, who are struggling with... Uh, just whatever the issues of life they may be dealing with. We pray, Father, for Brian as he preaches this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would speak through him to the body of this church. We thank you for this church that is the lighthouse of the truth. Uh, Lord, continue to use us. Show us where we can be better used when we need to be used and how we can be a better servant to you. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just threw my phone on. I just thought I'd try to record off the phone. So... No, we'll see what happens. Uh, okay, so Second Corinthians chapter two, and um, that's where we're that's where we're going to start today. We're really um, trying to make our way through this this book. Um, it's an interesting book, even as we have just gotten started on it. Um, and so Paul, as you, as a reminder, Paul wrote this letter. He had a good reason to write this letter. Uh, and it was the reason that he wrote this letter was to communicate biblical truth. That's the first thing. He wanted to make sure that we were receiving the truth of the Word of God, that not just us, but the church in Corinth, in particular the church in Corinth, because he wrote the letter to them. But we get the privilege of reading this letter and any letter that Paul wrote um, that is contained in the, in the Bible. Uh, so he wrote to communicate biblical truth, but he also had, as a necessity, he wanted to con. con, con communicate to the church what I would call Christian conduct, which is actually the letter that the, the intent that we should be seeking out and you, you should be praying this as well uh, throughout the study in Second Corinthians, that God would show you what Christian conduct actually should look like. Uh, because this is probably one of the most personal letters uh, that Paul has written. He's very transparent. In fact, that's why I titled this letter or this study, Transparency of the Christian. What does a Christian should look like? How should a Christian be perceived in the, in the world today? Not just in the church, because that's important too, but in the in the world. What should this what should the world see? And you know, transparent, uh, the word transparent means to be able to see through. And so what we want people to be able to see through our fake life to see the reality of who God is and who Christ is. And that's what Paul's trying to communicate. So we need to reflect the image of Christ both in the walk of Christ, our thinking about how Christ, we should think the same way that Christ thinks, we should speak the same way that he spoke. And basically, as we see in the broader outline, we, we started last week just kind of laying out the outline, really of the first four chapters, because that's as far as we're going to get for, the, for, the, for a while now. Uh, but if you remember chapter one, uh, we talked about starting out, we, we, we finished chapter one last week, Paul begins to lay the foundation for what our ministry is truly about. And he talked a lot about grace and peace. And uh, we spent some time going through all of that. 
and looking at, at uh, how grace and peace is applied. Chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. Today, actually, we're going to be in chapter 2 for the next probably three or four weeks. Uh, but chapter, chapter 2 addresses how we communicate love for others and how to forgive and why to forgive. Forgiveness is one of those things that everybody knows we should forgive. Everybody wants to be forgiven. But sometimes we forget how to forgive and sometimes we forget why we need to forgive. So that's what they're going to cover over the next several weeks is the topic of forgiveness. And uh, we'll break all that down over the next several weeks. But, but that's what chapter 2 is about. Chapter 3 addresses how we communicate love for others and equally how, I'm sorry, chapter 3 guides us in the ministry and how it demonstrates the glory of God. How, do, how does our ministry demonstrate God's glory? Because every time we minister to somebody, every time we're involved in some sort of thing that we would call ministry, kind of lump, un, un, lump any activity under that big word ministry, what should, it, what should it do? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, If the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. There's a purpose that we have ministry. We don't just want you to be involved in ministry just because uh, we, need your, we need you to work. We actually want you to be involved in ministry so that you can show, demonstrate the glory of God, the righteousness of God, uh, and, it's, and, and portray what God is all about. It's almost like, um, I wouldn't call it uh, boot camp for what God has you, you going to be doing in heaven, but it's kind of like that. We, we are preparing for serving Him in the kingdom, and so God wants us to serve. So that's chapter 3. Chapter 4 Paul takes us, uh, takes everything that he's written so far in the first three chapters and he grounds it in doctrine. So there's not a lot of doctrine in, chat, in, in 2 Corinthians. He doesn't, you know, chat, chat, uh, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians is, is, is all about doctrine. He lays it out in probably each chapter is a doctrinal focus on, on what he's writing on. But here, because this letter is personal, he's trying to open himself up to the church. He's trying to be transparent to the church. So he doesn't really speak a lot about doctrine in every chapter. But in chapter 4, he's, he clears off everything and he writes uh, this chapter, which focuses on some specific doctrinal statements that should guide our actions in ministry. So, so we need to know why we're in ministry, but we also need to have, know how to act in ministry and what we're trying to get accomplished. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, if you look at that real quick, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, and not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. That's what ministry is, manifestation of the truth. That's actually a good definition for it right there. Manifestation of the truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And so we don't want the gospel to be hid. Our purpose is to display the gospel in some way, to communicate the truth of God. What is the truth of God? God loves you. God cares for you. God wants you to be saved. That's what ministry is all about. At the end of the day, when you, when you clean it all off, I mean, every ministry has an has a, has a emphasis, children's ministry, prison ministry, uh, women's ministry, whatever the case may be, Bible ministry. We have a focus, but they're all the same. At the end of the day, they're all the same. To, dis to, to dis dis display the truth of God and to reveal the glory of God. So that's chapter 4. Um, 
So uh, we'll outline chapters five through thirteen later as as we get a little bit into those chapters. I don't want to I don't want to get bogged down and forget that you know where we're at. But I also also don't want to go through all of those right now. But we'll lay out the whole whole outline of the chat of the letter so that you can see that as time comes. So this letter clarifies for us, or better yet, I should say, it lays out before us the purpose of the believer. It gives us the purpose of the believer. And I know we've talked about this a lot, but I want to keep emphasizing this at least for the next few weeks. What is your purpose? And we talked about that quite a bit last week. We went through uh, four specific things that uh, are part of the purpose of the believer. Um, you know, we need to be transparent so Christ is seen through the ministry and the message that we try to deliver. And so this letter, as I said, is the most personal letter that Paul has written. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote, I think, I don't lose count. I'd have to count them right now. But he wrote Romans through uh, Ephesians, all the, the letters to churches. He wrote letters to individuals, to Timothy, to Titus, to Philemon. Uh, he wrote the book of Hebrews and a general uh, letter to the, to the, uh, the lost uh, nation of Israel. He wrote a lot of things. But this one is personal. It's personal because it's, 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 it's a transparent letter to the church because the church was, was, had been, even though he planted that church, even though he established that church in his second missionary journey, he spent 18 months there, and then he, God had called him home uh, for, a, for a season, and he went back to Antioch, and then he went on his third missionary journey, he started hearing some rumors. What's going on in here? What's going on at Heartland? What am I hearing about Heartland? So that's, he's actually saying that about Corinth. But when you think about it, what am I, see, if you were to depart, if God moved you someplace for some reason, whatever, on a positive reason, I would say, if God moves you someplace else and you start hearing, what's going on in my church that I got saved at? What's going on in the church that I, that I love? I've had that happen to me before. Maybe some of you have had too, where you, you, you started hearing rumors about your, your church, what you would call your home church. And it's like, what in the world? What, what am I hearing? And Paul was like, what am, I, what am I hearing? I've got to address this. And he did. And we talked about that uh, last, uh, over the last several weeks. We talked about that Paul actually wrote four letters. And I described them in this way, with all with an L. The, the, uh, the lost letter was the first letter. We don't have that. The long letter, which is 1 Corinthians. That's the long, because that's a long letter. The lamented letter, the one that he really felt bad that he had to write this letter at all, that's the one that we'll refer to here in just a few minutes. And then the last letter, which is 2 Corinthians. So he wrote four letters. We know that because he references in different time frames in both 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians about a letter that he, he, refer, he references a letter that he had sent. And in this case, uh, he references a letter that, we, that, uh, that I would call the lamented letter, the one that he wrote. Uh, I'll explain all that in, in a minute. But anyway, let's go on. And so um, this letter really should encourage the believer to do two things. And we've talked about them before. You have some blanks in your handout, I think, again. just I hope those blanks help you to remember or to be uh, kind of encouraged. But he said the first thing is that this letter should be an encouragement to the saints to move them to be as conformed to the image of Christ as possible. So we should be encouraged. This letter is an encouragement letter. You should be encouraged. That's what you should get out of this letter. The second thing is that it should be an example to the lost. As a believer, you should be an example to the lost in order to bring them to a decision to receive Christ. You know, the purpose of our, anything that we do 
is so that people can make, I don't remember, okay, I'm trying to remember a, a statement that was made in one of the messages that, at the conference that Julie and I were at last week. Um, uh, our responsibility, how did he say that about, I need her brain because mine doesn't work anymore. Um, but um, she doesn't know what I'm thinking about either. <laughs> so, anyway, so let me think. So, um, well, okay, the, the man that was preaching was actually talking about bringing what the, what the best man does in the wedding, bringing the, the, really the best man's responsibility is to make sure that the, that the groom and the bride are prepared properly. And so for you and I as a believer, we are to help people become part of the wedding party. Our responsibility is to introduce people to Christ so that they can meet their bride or meet their groom. Christ is the groom, we're the bride. And so, and so that's, you know, we need to be at that example to lead people, lead the lost, to bring them to a decision to join with Christ. That's really what, as a believer, when we're talking about ministry, those are parts of why we minister. What do we, why do we minister? To bring people to the point where they can engage with Christ forever. Because if we don't realize that that's what ministry is all about, then you think that ministry is just about working and about, well, I just want uh, to work with kids. Okay, dig down a little bit further. I want to work with kids for what? Just because I like hanging out with kids? You're a little weird. <laughs> I mean, I, no, it's okay to be with kids, but I mean, think about it, really. You want, you want to be with kids so the kids get to in, be introduced to Christ. So at some point in their time, before they become adults and forget all about Christ and church and everything else, they have received Christ as Savior. And if, you, and if we're working in an adult ministry, we're going to try to capture them, hey, remind them, hey, God still loves you, even though you have made some mistakes, you have had some struggles, you had some problems, and God still loves you. And so that's, that's part of what all this is about. This letter is it about how do we be transparent to do that. So Paul intends for us to be, do both, to encourage and to lead, and to, to, uh, lead people to become who they are. We need, you and I need, to be prepared to duplicate the Word of God in our life and in our, the deeds of our life in our own ministry. Remember he said, follow me as I follow Christ. When Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, be, be followers of me even as I follow Christ. Why did he say that? Because he wants you to do what he's doing. Which is what? What Christ was doing. Why did Christ, what, what was the ministry of Christ anyway? It was to sacrifice himself so that you could be saved. He wanted to bring you as close as possible to get to know God as quickly as possible. That's what ministry is all about. Okay, so anyway, verses 1 to 5 in the, the chapter 1 um, says, For we know that if our earthly house is this... He's showing in the right place, yeah. For we know if our... No, that's chapter 5. I need to read chapter 2. Okay, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, verses 1 to 5. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having got confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye should know the love 
which I have more abundantly unto you. See, that's a, that's a transparent statement. I'm writing that you might know the love I have for you, that it is abundantly for you. Verse 5, But if I have caused any grief, he, that not, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. That's a long statement. There's a lot in that. But before we actually dig into all of this behind that, what I want to do is we'll, I, want, I want to just point out the content, the context of those first five verses actually starts back in chapter 1. And this is why, you know, one of the rules of Bible study is, is the context. What is the context? We've got to sometimes go back a little ways to get the context. So I want to take you all the way back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, because that's really where the, the context begins, starting in verse 15. Verse 15 of chapter 1, we'll read all the way down to the end, and then we'll jump into the chapter 2 of just a little bit. Verse 15, And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before, that you might have a second benefit, and to pass by you unto Macedonia, and to come again from Mas- of, out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness, or the things that I purposed to do that I... That I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you might was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God. Now he which established us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us as God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in your heart, in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand, but I determined this of myself, that I will not come again to you in heaviness, for if I make you sorry... Who is he that maketh me glad, but the same who is made sorry by me? And you kind of follow it all the way down through that in, in those first five verses that we read of the second chapter. But you see the context really starts back in chapter 1, verse 15. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to give, give you today, uh, as we start this chapter, seven attitudes that a Christian should possess. Seven attitudes that a Christian should possess, just out of these, these verses that we read. But before I do that, let me ask you a question. What is an attitude? <laughs> Everybody's probably thinking it's a bad thing. Like, don't give me that attitude. Yeah. You know, what, what, get that attitude off of your face. That's how I would say it to my kids when they were growing up. I don't want to see your attitude. Behave. You know, that kind of stuff. We always think attitude is a bad thing, but this, this, let me just give you a couple of things to think about. Attitude, first off, is not a Bible word. It's not actually a word found in the Bible. It's not in the Scriptures. Um, but the word points to a point of, of, um, a point of view, a perspective, or an approach to something. So Paul did talk about attitudes, but he didn't use, he didn't use that word. Like in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. What's your attitude? It should be a walking attitude, walking like Christ. He says in Philemon, he wrote to Philemon, he says in chapter 1, verse 14, But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. 
So there's a willingness in your attitude. Does your, do you have an attitude of willingness? Do you have an attitude of walk? So an attitude then would be this definition. is a way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that is reflected in your behavior. So what attitude should you have? What, how should you reflect your, your, your relationship with Christ? What attitude should you display? So there's, a, there's seven of them we're going to talk about. There's actually quite a bit more if you really wanted to you know, dig into those scriptures and you could pull them out and you, you could probably have a 10-week course just on Christian attitudes. But we're only going to cover seven of them fairly quickly this morning. So starting back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, we see in the first attitude that Paul is trying to display. Because what is he doing? He's trying to be open and transparent to the church. And he said, okay, verse 15, chapter 1, he says, In this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that you might have a second benefit. Why is he wanting to come at all? Because of his loyalty to them. That is the first attitude, is an attitude of loyalty. Uh, one of the accusations that, that was held against Paul at the church at Corinth, after he had departed the church, somebody came in, people came in, the, what we would refer to as Judaizers, who liked to tra- chase down Paul and follow him and come in behind him after he had departed the location and basically tell everybody that's there that that guy was a liar. Right? That guy's not telling the truth. That guy is false. And in fact, they used the, the, the point that he didn't come. He said he was going to come two times. He said, I'm going to go to Macedonia. I'm going to stop on my way there. And on my way back, I'm going to stop again. And he said, but he didn't. He only stopped once. And since, instead of stopping the second time, he wrote that letter that we call the, the, lament, the lamenting letter. And because he took him to task in that letter. Uh, there's some of that information is, re, is referenced later on in this, cha- in this book. But anyway... What, he, what, he, uh, what we need to understand is, is that the accusation of Paul was that he had lied about his intention to come twice because he failed to come twice. So, you know, it, one of the things that lying, when we call somebody a liar, we're saying you're not loyal to what you're lying about or lying to. You're, your loyalty is nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You claim to be loyal to this church. You don't show up. You say you're going to come. You don't come. You're obviously not loyal. Well, why did Paul need to be loyal to this church? Because he planted it. He died. He, he, he sacrificed a lot for this church to be started. We should be loyal to a lot of things as well. Um, and so to counter their attack, he reminded the church that he did not intend to come, that he did, in fact, intend to come twice. Uh, and that's what we read that, uh, that, um, that second benefit that he mentions. Uh, he, that was that second benefit was to come twice. We talked about that last week, if you recall. Um, and so, if you look at verse 15, I think it's at the end of verse 15 where you mentioned the second, second benefit. Yeah, it's at the end of verse 15. It says, uh, I was minded to come unto you before that, I might, that ye might have a second benefit. Uh, but then he says, you know, later on, he says, that's probably not going to be a good idea right now. Let me, write, let me write a letter. And so he intended, his attitude on display here is that he was loyal to the church. He, in fact, is loyal to the church. He came, he's written letters. And we talked about, I think, one of the first weeks that we started this, that this, that Paul probably, by the evidence that we see here, how many letters did he actually write to this church? How much time did he spend in his church? This is probably the church that he loved the most. I know he loved every church, but this one, this one meant most to him. He cared most for this church. Because he wrote the letter, he went. He he went. 
he went and started the church. He went back again, and he was going to go a third time, but he just it didn't. And then he said, you know what? I, and we'll talk about the, some of the reasoning behind his, his change of mind later on. But he was, notice he says in verse 15 that he was confident. He said, in this confidence I was minded to come to you. What confidence? That they believed the things that they had been taught by him. You see, that's something that's, uh, see, what he's trying to do at this point is just remind them, hey, you and I have the same faith, the same belief. This, you know, sometimes it's frustrating when you're like, you, you've changed your doctrine. Why, why, did, why, are now you, why are you now teaching this stuff instead of teaching what we've always taught? It, it's, a, it's a little irritating when we find out a church that was like-minded at one time or a, or a believer was like-minded at one time and all of a sudden now they're, the church is completely wacko and going a different direction on their doctrine or a person that we would stand shoulder to shoulder with in the, in the ministry and serve as hard as we could with that person to find out that now that person stands in a different direction than you. It's, it's hard. It's like, well, what happened to the loyalty? Not that, not that you're like battle ready, but, but you kind of are. Or you were. And Paul says, I have always been loyal to you. I want you to know that I'm loyal to you. That is one of the most important attitudes that you and I can have is, a, is an attitude of loyalty. Because of this investment that Paul made in this church, he was confident in them that they would be confident in him and not fall for the deceit of the false teachers. So the false teachers came in and they said, you know, Paul's a liar. He said he was coming and he didn't come. And what should have happened was the church leaders should have stood up and said, Paul cares for us. Paul loves us. Paul's busy. He'll get here when he can get here. Instead of saying, you know what? You're right. Paul doesn't care about us. You know what? That's like, that's that, that whisper of the devil. That's, you know, how the devil is, is, is he's called the accuser of the brethren. He, and I told you before that he accuses us to God, but he also accuses God to us. Yes. He accuses God to us. He says to, says to you, God really doesn't love you. Yeah. God doesn't, he doesn't, he didn't actually die for you. He might have died for that person over there, but he didn't really die for you. Those are lies of God. Those are lies about God because of what they're trying to demonstrate is it, or trying to falsify is, the, is God's loyalty to you. Loyalty may not be a loyalty may not be a Bible word either, but a Bible word that means the same thing as loyalty is, is the word faith. Faith, as in faithful duty to oneself and to others. Paul points his loyalty to the church as proof of his intentions. One of the reasons that he was coming was to refute the accusation of being a liar, including the teaching that he was. And actually, let me let me say. So when, they, when, when these falsifiers of the truth claim that Paul is a liar, they're actually not just saying he's a liar because he didn't come. They're actually saying that he's a liar because he didn't come, and he's a liar of everything that he's taught you. So everything that Paul taught to this church, these guys are saying, oh, that was all a lie. Paul, Paul didn't really say all of those things. So he's trying to point to his teaching and say, see, here's my loyalty. So the question for us as a believer is what are you loyal to? Are you loyal to your family? Are you loyal to your church? Are you loyal to your God? And how do we just, how do we demonstrate loyalty to the lost? We sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm separated from the lost. I'm not of the world. I'm I'm in the world, but not of the world, and all that kind of stuff. So they can just die and go to hell. I don't care. That's not loyalty. Our loyalty needs to be 
I want them to be saved. And so my loyalty is I'm going to reach them. That's how I'm loyal to the lost. I'm going to try to reach them. So are we loyal to them? That's the first attitude. You see, how you think about loyalty motivates and moves your, your behavior to demonstrate that loyalty. And then the second thing he says in verse 17 of chapter 1, When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purposed to do, did I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? So the second attitude that we see here in this verse is an attitude of honesty. Honesty. To just be honest. Um, you know, we talked about that yea, yea, and nay, nay before last week. Uh, and, you know, basically what Paul is saying, uh, everything is yea. And I, I don't want to be coming across as half the time I say things is yea and half the time I th- say things is nay, because that's confusing. That's not honest. And so we spoke last week about that, about his desire and his intentions toward the church, that he would always be seen as an honest man, that his words and his actions would always align to Scripture. You know, uh, when our words and our actions don't line up to what the Bible says, it doesn't take long before people realize that you are talking out both sides of your mouth, that you are not behaving the way you claim that you should behave. You, you tell me I should do one thing, but you don't do it. You know, that's, a, that's, that's, that's not an, a, an attitude of honesty. Romans 12, verse 17 says, To recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Not just the body of the church, but all men. Be honest about who you are. I remember, and I think I've mentioned this in time or two in the past, I remember when I first got saved, that, and I told some of my coworkers that I had gotten saved, and uh, this man says, well, that's really good. You know, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? He said that. He was a pastor? He was a, I'm like, well, you never told me about Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. I was, I'll never forget that. He, he claimed to be a pastor. He also liked to do chicken fighting. He <laughs> 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 was a gambler. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he definitely, he definitely lost my respect. I mean, if I, as a lost guy, I didn't know what was right or wrong or anything, but, he, but I know that he never witnessed to me. And then he wanted to, you know, oh, I'm, look at me. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Uh, okay, well, I don't want anything to do with you. That's where I went. Okay, so the, the third uh, attitude that we should have is now also found in verses 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, were not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. So there's, a, there's verses 19 and 20 speak to the attitude of reliability. So just, just think about what we just covered so far. So we have an attitude of, of, um, uh, an attitude of loyalty, an attitude of honesty, and now an attitude of reliability. And uh, this is what, when he's talking about yay, yay, nay, nay, yay, and amen, that he, that's a, that is the, the heart of the reliability. You can trust on what Paul is teaching and what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. Yay, yay. My words, my actions is yay. Yes, this is right. This is the right thing. It's not yay and nay. It's not flipping, flip-flopping back and forth. So to be reliable is to know you will get the same result on every successive test. That's what it means to be reliable, that you will get the same result on every successive test. When you test the Word of God, you're going to get the same results. When you test the preaching, uh, the words of the preacher,
you should get the same results. And if you don't, there's a problem of reliability there. This is also the ground for confidence. Your confidence because you have reliability. It's, it's the ground, the foundation of our discipleship ministry. You know what? When we disciple people, people, the guy that discipled me, and then I've discipled people, is there's a there's a chain, right? That we talk about is just a link going down. Second Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. The things that thou hast heard of me among heard of possess is in verse twenty one. Twenty one says. Now he which establishes us in, in, with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. And so that is an authentic, authentic, I can't say this word, authentic, being authentic. authentic I still can't say authentic, authenticity, there you go, authenticity, to be authentic. To be authentic means to be conformed to the original. It basically means that you look like the original thing. You know, that's what we want, right? We want, a, we want an authentic Whatever we're going to buy, we want it to be authentic. We don't want it to be fake. Whatever we're going to invest in, we want it to be authentic. And Paul is making a very important comparison between him and this church. What he's saying is, so what God has done in them, he had done in Paul. What God, that's what he's, that's what he's saying. Um, now he which hath established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. So really, when you when you lose track of your authenticity, you are basically defrauding people of God, of who God actually is. And so he's saying that God did all of this in you the same way he did all of this in me. We are the one and the same in Christ. There's, there's no difference between you and me, between this side of the room and that side of the room. There's no difference. We are believers. We, are, we, have, been, we have been saved by the same blood of Christ. We have been... We have been sealed by the same Holy Spirit of God. We have the same Word of God. That's where, you know, those kind of things, if you lose out of that authenticity, you start to have a problem in the church. If we're teaching out of, if all of us are using a different Bible, how, how can we be authentic in, our, authentic in the word in the words that we teach, in the words that we preach? How can we be the same if we're not the same? So we have to be authentic. We have to be the same because God has done something to all of us in the same way. He's not lifting himself up to them either. Instead, he is saying, hey, this, I am the same as they. Look at verse 21 again. And there's a word there, the two-letter word in verse 21. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. So he's saying, I'm part of the us. He's not, he's not pointing, pointing to them and saying you. He's pointing to us. All of us. All the body is us. And so he's saying we're all the same. If Paul is not authentic, authentic, if Paul is not authentic, then neither are they, and their attack is an attack on all that God has done. And so Paul is just kind of trying to turn the focus on get off of me and recognize what God is doing. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter three. I just want to read a passage starting in verse seventeen. This kind of goes hand in hand with this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, or that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which patheth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's all the same. Paul is saying this is the same thing for all of us. And so he determines 
in verse in chapter two, verse one. Notice, go back to Second Corinthians chapter two, verse one. And notice what he says in verse one. But I determined this with myself that I will not come again to you in heaviness. So he determines that a letter would be better than 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 his presence there because he was concerned that he would bring grief in his presence. You know, sometimes Paul knew himself, and uh, you know, sometimes we know that sometimes if I if I show up, I'm probably going to say things I shouldn't say. I'm probably going to praise. It needs to be said, but I may say it the way that isn't going to convey what I really want said or what I really want done. And sometimes we do that. We don't. We need to recognize sometimes that our words are valid, but the, the intensity of the words may be harsh. And Paul says, I don't want to bring grief on you guys anymore. I've determined to not come again to you in heaviness. So that's why I didn't come on the second trip that I said I would come on, because I knew the first trip was, was a rough one. It was a, it was a rough one. And so, uh, so this sensitivity mitigated his potential for a more harsh response that would have ser- have served to defend himself verbally, but it but it wouldn't have accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish, which is to bring unity back in the body. Okay, so number six of all of these attitudes that we're looking at is in found in now in chapter two, verses one and two. I've already read in verse one, but verse two says, "For if I make you sorry, who is he that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me." So this is an attitude of or an attitude of purity. See, the truth is, the truth of Paul is that he had, he had to confront the church. He knew he had to confront the church, and he, and he would, and he could, but he had determined to, come, to do it a different way instead of being present in this, I'm going to write a letter. He made up his mind that he would not come in heaviness, which is another way to say, I am not going to come in grief or sorrow, neither is, is he or theirs. He's not going to come in, in his own sorrow and grief. He's not going to come in their sorrow and grief either. He doesn't want grief and sorrow to overshadow everything else that's going on. So this is Paul's way of saying, instead of coming to yell at you, he had resolved to write this letter, the one that we call the lamented letter, the third letter, which if it helps, he'll come later. That's basically what he's, what he's in, in, implying there. And then number seven, number seven is in verse four of chapter two. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that you should know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. And so this is about charity. This is about an attitude of charity. You know the word charity means the same thing as the word love. Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 13 when he wrote about charity. Charity is a dispensing of love and what it will tolerate or obligate in the name of love. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 13? That charity suffers, charity is kind, charity is not puffed up, charity never fails and all of that. That's a passage that's talking about charity and more of a definitive or definition of what Paul is saying about our attitude that should be an attitude of, cha- of charity. He wants the church to know that his heart aches over the strife that is occurring. His heart is, his, he's, he is aching over the, 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 the disunity that's going on, the, the, uh, the accusations that are being made against him because he loves, he cares for this church. Now why would they, why would they attack him the way they're doing it now? Because they're being... They're being lied to themselves. He said he wrote with many tears in anticipation that he would not be grieved because he had determined that he would not grieve them if it could be avoided. He did not want to grieve them. 
So, so that's kind of those attitudes. Let me just kind of wrap up a few things here real quick. Um, the reason, of course, that he wrote the letter, I've already said, verse 3, is the letter was a referral to the lamented letter. When he says in verse 3, I wrote this same to you, he's not referring to 1 Corinthians. He's talking about the letter in between 1 Corinthians and this letter that we call the lamented letter. We looked at that the first week, those four different letters. Um, he wrote this letter instead of making a second visit for the reasons that we have already talked about and, and even today and over the last couple of weeks. So he, he wrote it in tears. He was able to address two serious issues. There are two things that he's focused on. First, addressing the man of sin, and we'll get into all of this. Uh, remember in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 5, Paul talked about a man that was deep involved in, in sexual sin. And Paul addressed the church, you've got to deal with this guy. And they did. Now, he's, now he has to, now you've got to deal with him again in a different way this time. So, so uh, that's why he wrote the first, the first reason he wrote the letter. The second reason he wrote the letter was to, uh, he wrote really to deal with the one that has stirred up contention against Paul's teaching. And, uh, and, and so he's addressing them. And so these attitudes that we looked at so far, there's only seven of them, but there's a lot more attitudes that you could find in the Bible that a Christian should look like. Um, but these attitudes that we looked at help us determine how a Christian should conduct themselves in all matters. This is what you should look like. In, in whatever dealings that you have with people, you should come, at, come, after, you should come to them as loyal, honest, reliable, authentic, sensitive, pure, and charitable. That's, that, that is what a Christian should look like because that is how Christ came to, look, came to you, what he did. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes, Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that, they be sta- that, they, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That, that verse right there is everything that Paul's just talking about as far as these attitudes that we've been looking at. But there's still one more attitude that we're going to spend a lot of time on the next several weeks. Uh, and that's contained in chapter 2 as well. And it's distinctly, it's di- this attitude distinctly com- defines what a Christian should do or be. It's, it's the one last one. So we, we have all of those. Those are valid uh, attitudes. But this last one um, is really uh, a little bit different. It's more specific. And that is the attitude of forgiveness. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, you remember that verse? It says, be ye kind one to another. So that's loyal, honest, reliable, authentic, sensitive, pure, charitable. That's kindness. You kind of lump it all as kindness, right? Ephesians 4, 32. But then he says, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And so let's look at the... At, um, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Yeah, I think I was going to read 4 and 5. Let me read 4 and 5. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love <clears throat> which I have more abundantly for, unto you. But if, I, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, uh, that I may not overcharge you all. Then he says in verse 6, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which, is, which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, you ought not rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So he points all of that out because forgiveness is a, is a primary component of a, of a believer. 
Um, and that's, that's the one attitude we're going to spend a little bit more time on. Um, but, so we're going to hold up here because we're over, we're over time already. We'll hold up here because uh, there is, like I said, a lot to say. We're going to talk about the blessings of forgiveness, the benefits of forgiveness, the hope of forgiveness, the motive for forgiveness, and the reasons to forgive. So that's a lot. Because forgiveness kind of gets kind of, I mean, it's intended. I mean, we read Ephesians 4.32, Christ forgave you, so you should forgive everybody else. But I don't want to forgive. I don't know how to forgive. I'm struggling with forgiveness and all these kind of things. So we're going to try to, we're going to, try to dig down into this concept of forgiveness for a while. So um, pray over this chapter, read it, and uh, prepare for next week, and we'll, we'll get into the study on forgiveness. Uh, so I don't know if we'll do it one week or two or three or ten. I don't know. We'll see how far late we take. So let's pray. We'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for fact, the fact that you have already forgiven us and given us the greatest example of that, that even though our sin caused your son to be put on the cross, that we might be forgiven, Lord, we are thankful that you do forgive. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be forgiving in all situations and under all circumstances, that we might be of the reflection of Christ to others, that they may know Christ as Savior, and that because of who we are and who you are, uh, they became part of the church as well. We thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so, uh, huh? uh, I think it worked. I mean, it's still on the screen. I guess it worked.